Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 13. If you're uh, using our Pew Bible, you'll find it on page 900. And if you're using the Children's Following Jesus Bible, it begins on page 1,157. John chapter 13. I'll be reading verses 1 through 20 in the English Standard Version. Or maybe Rich is. Oh. All right, this is the reading of God's word. Good morning. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what, I'm, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew that, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. Who, he who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me and whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you have little ones first grade and under who would like to go across the way to children's worship, uh, they can line up now. If we have anybody visiting who have little ones going over, we just ask that one parent goes across to get them signed up with our volunteers uh, for children's worship. Well, here's a question for you. Um, it's not a trick question. 
It's very simple. You can answer it out loud if you want. When you first believed in Jesus, what happened to your sin? What's that? Forgiven. That's right. Is there, what, anybody want to add anything else? That's fine. Yeah, forgiven. That's right. Your sins are taken away. We know what Jesus did. We've heard this in sermons before. Jesus died in the place of his people. He took the punishment for our sins, and that means that our sins are gone. We're forgiven. We're clean. They've been paid for. We have all this language that we use, these kind of metaphors to describe what happened with our sins. And it's not just our past sins. When we believe in Jesus, all of our sins, past, present, and future, are washed away, forgiven. Our sins are gone. But we don't always feel that way, do we? Often, when we do sin, after believing in Jesus, it's like all the guilt, all the shame of our past are suddenly made present again. We feel the muck of our sin again. We feel the weight of sins that were already paid for. You ever feel that way? I know I do. What's up with that? I mean, aren't we forgiven? Even after we sin? I mean, and if we're forgiven, what's the point of confessing our sins? Why confess sins to God that are already forgiven? You might not expect it, but Jesus addresses all these questions when he washes the disciples' feet. When Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he was teaching them about the cleansing effect of his death on the cross. Now, this is not what I thought I was going to be preaching on when I started working on this text. When I started working on this text, I thought this, I was going to be preaching about humility or servant leadership. That was the point of the text, I thought. But as I read more carefully the things that Jesus said, and as I looked at the things that Jesus did, it became clearer and clearer to me that Jesus' act of washing the disciples' feet was actually a lesson about how he washes away our sins through the cross. Let me show you how. First, Jesus tells the disciples in the text that they wouldn't understand the foot washing until later. He says, I'm doing this thing. You're not going to understand it until later. Look with me at verses 3 through 7 again. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Okay, so afterward Peter's going to understand what this foot washing means. After what? Well, we got four possibilities. Jesus is referring either to after the cross, after the resurrection, after his ascension, or after Pentecost. One or more of these events is going to help them understand the meaning of this action of washing feet. Well, which of those four act- uh, events, his death, uh, his resurrection, ascension, uh, Pentecost, which of those four has to do with cleansing. 
What's that? Crucifixion. That's right. So, regardless of at what time they understand the foot washing, Jesus' words indicate that the foot washing event is a sign pointing forward to the cleansing work of the cross. Something about this foot washing is teaching us something about the cross and how it would cleanse them. So what's he teaching them then? Let's look again at verses 7 and then verse 8. Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but after you, afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. This is the first thing we learn about the cross in the foot washing. First, Jesus says that if he does not wash us, we have no share with him. What does that mean? What's this, this share talk all about? Well, this is the language of an inheritance. Like when someone dies and their possessions are split up, they're divvied up among the family members, each person gets a different share, right? I could say it like this. When you think about your life, what do you have coming to you? What do you have coming to you? If your sins are not washed away by Jesus, what do you have coming? What is your inheritance? What is your share? Let's think about that for a second. To be a human being, to be a descendant of Adam, means that we have been born into a kingdom of rebels. We have been born into a long line of men and women who have opposed the true king and have aimed to establish their own kingdom, have tried to, to, to proclaim their own name to the world. Humanity as a whole is at war with God. Humanity is at war with justice, with truth, with love, with joy, with all that is in God and from God. And, and I'm not talking about the 21st century. I am. But I'm talking about all of human history. Humanity, ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, we have been a traitorous people who are at war with the one true king. Therefore, to echo Ephesians chapter 2, God's wrath is justly aimed at humanity because we are at war with him by nature. We are at war with his glory and with his lordship. So if we are not washed of our sin by Jesus, what is our share? What do, can we expect to inherit as we continue in this line, this lineage of rebellion? If we continue to live in this way, our inheritance will be the just wrath of God for our sinful rebellion. Every one of us. And that means death and hell. That is what we will receive if we are not cleansed by Jesus. But in the foot washing, Jesus is announcing another way. Rather than having a share with sinful humanity, rather than receiving humanity's inheritance, if we're washed by Jesus, we will receive his inheritance. So foot washing teaches us this, that if we trust Jesus, we will be cleansed of our sin and share Jesus's eternal inheritance. So Jesus washes the people who trust him. And the result is that they will have a share with him. They won't inherit the wrath of God. Rather, we will receive the internal inheritance that Jesus deserves as a son of God. What does Jesus deserve as one who always obeyed the Father? He deserves communion with the Father. He deserves eternal life. This he offers to all of us through faith 
in him. Therefore, he tells Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Conversely, that means if I wash you, you do have a share with me. You receive my inheritance. Well, Peter doesn't get it. He's just like us. Look at verses 8 and 9. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So Jesus interp- or Peter interprets Jesus literally. In effect, he says, so if you wash my feet, I get a share with you? Then wash my whole body, right? Peter almost feels, thinks that this foot washing event is a, a, a sort of magical event. That this outward sign of cleansing is actually going to automatically do something spiritually to him. People make this confusion about baptism to this day. Baptism doesn't wash away sins, just like foot washing didn't wash away sins. When we trust what Jesus said, when we submit ourselves to his lordship, we believe that God raised him from the dead, Jesus washes us. Well, let's hear how Jesus responds to Peter's misunderstanding in verses 9 through 11. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. So Jesus says, Peter, you're clean, but Judas is not. Why not? Because Judas didn't believe Jesus' message. Judas didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He didn't believe that he was the Messiah, King of Israel, and the world. Why are Peter and the other disciples clean? Because they believed what Jesus said. But that's not the only point that Jesus makes in his response to Peter. When Peter said, wash all of me. He wasn't only teaching that the cross would wash away sin so that we would receive Jesus' inheritance. No, he also teaches this, the dynamics of our sinning after we've already been washed of sin. Let's think about this foot washing thing. So in ancient times, foot washing was very common. So if you needed to go somewhere, you didn't have a car to hop into, and if you didn't have a a horse or a camel or a donkey to ride on, you had to hoof it yourself. You were walking around in the streets, often wearing sandals, and these are streets that are shared with these animals. That means, you know, There's animal mess everywhere, and there's dust everywhere. And if there's been any precipitation whatsoever, this is a really nasty process of walking around in these streets. So when you would walk into someone's house, especially someone who was well off, there would be a big bowl by the door. A servant would come and pour water over your feet to rinse them off. So it wasn't a big production like soap, and they weren't down there scrubbing your feet. They were just getting most of the filth off, and then they kind of dried your feet off with a towel. Jesus used this very common act as an analogy. So if you've taken a bath in the morning, you're clean, and then you walk to somebody's house, you just need your feet washed off. You're you're clean because you've bathed today. Jesus tells the 11 disciples, you guys who trusted me, y'all are clean. You've believed me, unlike Judas. You don't need to be cleansed again. However... Do they still sin after they believed in Jesus? Yeah, every one of us does. Even after being fully washed of sin, they still sin. So Jesus is teaching us this weird notion that even though we're fully cleansed of sin, 
we still sin. And that does have some effect on us. So if you believe in Jesus, even when you sin, you're still clean. Even when you're in the act of sinning, you're still forgiven. You still have Jesus' inheritance ahead of you. You are clean. But do you feel clean? Not usually. You look at yourself in the mirror and you see the face of a shameful man, a shameful woman. We don't feel forgiven. We feel guilty. Perhaps we even fear God's wrath. We feel the muck of our sin and we feel like we need to bathe again, even though we don't. So what are we supposed to do with those feelings? As Christians who who are clean, who trust Jesus, when you sin again and you feel that shame, you feel that guilt, what are we to do? Should we just say, ah, the gospel tells me that that's just objectively not true, that I'm forgiven, I need to put those feelings out of my head. No, I think that's the wrong response. When we feel or when we sin and feel the rebellious muck of our flesh, the proper response is to go to Jesus. Do we need to be washed again? No. We're already clean because of the cross. But we take our sin to Jesus to experience the cleansing and forgiveness that is already ours. Jesus is ready to wash your feet. Here, I think, is the unbelievably beautiful lesson taught in this foot washing. Jesus isn't only concerned about your eternal experience of forgiveness. He wants you to experience that love and live in it today. So, Christian, when you sin and feel guilt and feel shame and feel fear, the proper response isn't to just ignore those feelings, though the answer is to run to Jesus in confession and repentance, seeking the cleansing work that only he can do. He's ready to wash your feet, to remind you that you're clean in him, to remind you that you're forgiven and loved, so that in the moment you can feel the effect of his entire work of forgiveness. Jesus is teaching us about experiencing the forgiveness of the cross after we've already been forgiven. So John, who wrote this gospel, also wrote the letter of 1 John. And that was written to a bunch of Christians. And in that letter to Christians, John said this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So how can John say in a letter to Christians to people who've already been forgiven, who've already been cleansed, that they need to to confess their sins again, to be washed. Because he's talking about this common Christian experience that we have all experienced. When you sin, you feel guilty again. You feel unclean again. You feel shameful again. The proper response to those feelings is to go to Jesus in faith. Trusting the gospel, confess your sins, and he will wash your feet. He'll give you an experience of the forgiveness that is already yours. This might not sound very uh, old-fashioned or traditional, but Jesus cares about how you feel. Specifically, he wants you to live in a daily experience of his grace and forgiveness. So when you sin, he's ready to wash your feet. He's ready to help you feel clean again. Now, if the text ended there, It would be remarkably beautiful. We would have great grounds 
for joy, for praise, for confession and repentance. But the text doesn't end there. Look at verses 12 through 15. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus' foot washing is not just about washing feet. It's not a lesson about servant leadership or humility. It's about Jesus' commitment to our being fully cleansed of sin and then experiencing the effect of that cleansing every day when we sin. But then he tells us to wash one another's feet. What can that mean then? It means this. We should care about one another's daily experience of sin and forgiveness. So last week we talked about how you can't love God without loving other Christians. More specifically, that if you love God, you'll love other Christians the way that he loves them. How does Jesus love us? He cares that when we sin, we remember and experience that we are forgiven. And how do we remember that? How do we experience that? Through confession, repentance, and communion with him. So if Jesus is concerned about that for every one of you as followers of Christ then I should be concerned about that too. Your experience of sin and forgiveness should matter to me. And, for the record, my experience of sin and forgiveness should matter to you guys. And one another's experience of sin and forgiveness should matter to each other. What more could we want for another Christian than that they daily experience the forgiveness and love of Christ? We should all long for one another to be set free, not just from sin's shame and guilt, but even from the power of sin. So how do we concern ourselves about these things for each other? How do we wash each other's feet? I mean, isn't it kind of nosy to be concerned about another Christian's sense of sin and, and forgiveness? Well, Jesus assumes that this command would be a hard pill to swallow, but still a blessing if we obey it. Look at what he says in verse 17. This verse is so, it's actually really funny. He says, verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Knowing this command is not enough, you gotta do it. I think it was D.A. Carson, the quote in the front of the worship guide, uh, Carson commenting on this, he says, There's a form of religious piety that utters a hearty amen to the most stringent demands of discipleship, but which rarely does anything about them. You can know this command and do nothing about it. Jesus assumes that his disciples will hear this command, they'll know this command, and then do nothing about it. Therefore, he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There is a blessing to be had in concerning yourself with other Christians' experience of sin and forgiveness. Now, this presumes that we, unlike Judas, are concerned about our own daily experience of cleansing from sin. Look at verses 17 and 18. 17 says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. 
But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. He's talking about Judas here. Judas was not concerned about his sin because he didn't believe what Jesus said. If you don't care about your sin, uh, if you think your sin is not harmful to you, to the people you love, to the glory of God, if you just don't care about the ways that you know you're breaking God's law, that you're personally rebelling against his lordship, if you don't care, it's probably because you're not clean. You've not believed Jesus' message. But if you believe the message of Jesus, that his cross has cleansed you of your sin, then when you see sin in your life, it should grieve you. We should hate it. We should want our lives to be reflecting the truth of the gospel. In 1888, Charles Ross, a pastor of the Free Church in Scotland, uh, he put it this way. He said, let us learn here the necessity of self-examination. For if even in the little company of the twelve, there was one whose heart was not right with God. If one of them was a devil, how does it befit each one of us to examine himself as in the sight of God? So before I can concern myself with somebody else's experience of sin and forgiveness, I need to attend to my own. Before I help my brother get the splinter out of his eye, I need to get the tree branch out of my own. Otherwise, I'm going to gouge his eye out trying to supposedly help him. But if I am daily taking my sin to Jesus, if I'm having my feet washed by him, if daily I'm confessing my sin and my need of a Savior, if I'm trusting in the gospel and experiencing the sweetness of the gospel, then I can engage with my brothers and sisters. And how do we do that? It's very simple. We should regularly confess our sins to one another and invite others to do the same. Jesus took on the garb of a ser servant. He took off his outer garment. He knelt down before the disciples. He debased himself and made himself nothing. How do I do the same thing? I confess my sins. I lay aside all my airs of righteousness and nobility, and we show to each other that we are nothing without Jesus. We confess our sins to each other. If you don't have a Christian friend with whom you can be open about your sin and allow them to be open about their sin, I would encourage you to pursue that kind of friendship, preferably with someone in this congregation. Y'all made promises to each other when you joined this church to work for one another's peace and purity. So maybe somebody here, if that's not possible, then with another Christian friend. A lot of you guys know Alex LaCour, dear friend of mine. He and I get together every week. We, we, you can creep in on us. We meet at PJ's around 1077, and we confront each other. We confess our sins to each other, and we aim to comfort each other with the gospel. When we humble ourselves, confessing our sins, and inviting the confession of another, we are concerning ourselves with the same things that Jesus is concerned about. Your experience of sin and forgiveness should matter to me. Why? Because I want you to have a life of fruitfulness and joy in obeying the Lord. But there's a second aspect. We don't just point out that someone's feet are dirty. We don't just invite confession. No, then we wash them. We take our brothers and sisters to Jesus. So therefore, we should encourage one another to trust Jesus' gospel and to repent. So when someone confesses their sins to us, what should our response be? It's not, well, you need to fix that. You need to get better. No, our response should be the words of the gospel. 
we share with them the good news that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, that Christ is coming again, that their sins are washed away. Encourage your brother, encourage your sister to believe the gospel, to, to, to know the love of Jesus, to draw near to him. We want our brothers and sisters not only to obey God, but to live in a daily awareness and experience of his forgiving power. So your experience of sin and forgiveness should matter to me and vice versa. It matters to Jesus. He attends to it daily. And so we should attend to one another's sin and forgiveness as well. Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Listen, you as a Christian, individually, you can confess your sins to God and experience his forgiveness. You can have your feet washed by Jesus every day and yet never wash your brother's feet. Maybe you're afraid how they'll respond if you talk to them about their sin or if you confess your sins to them. But if you don't obey this command of Jesus, there's a blessing lost, not only for them, but also for you. What's the blessing to be gained? Well, for starters, the blessing is a shared experience of the love of Jesus. As you confess your sins, as they confess their sins, as you encourage one another to believe the gospel together, you get to experience the love of Jesus. That is a blessing. But a second blessing that I have personally experienced is that Jesus uses these kinds of friendships to help us overcome habitual sin. By washing one another's feet, by confessing sins and inviting one another to believe the gospel, we begin to see ourselves cleansed from stains that seem to hang on. When a brother or sister is regularly confronting you in love, confessing their sins, inviting your confession, doing this work of encouraging one another with the gospel, it starts to root the cancer of sin out of our flesh. We experience not only our forgiveness, we experience freedom from sin. We are declared clean in Christ because we trust him, but we experience it as we walk the road together in confession and repentance. We get set free from sin. So I know you're probably not eager to leave today and find another Christian to confess your sins to, even though Jesus tells you to do it. But there is a blessing to be had here for you and for them. Your experience of sin and forgiveness does matter to me. And I invite you to have that same care for yourselves, for me, and for one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this sweet grace. You've given us Christian brothers and sisters to walk the road with us, to confront our sin, uh, to encourage us to trust Christ. And Lord, I know from experience there is a remarkable blessing to be had here. So Lord, I pray for the men, women, boys, and girls who are here that you would give them the courage uh, to seek out this kind of friendship where they could be honest about their sins, where they could confront one another and grow together because, Lord, there's such joy to be found in being free from sin and daily experiencing the forgiveness that was purchased for us on the cross. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.